Welcome to Sisters of the Strange. Today I have with me my faraway friend, John Evans. Hi, John, and welcome. Thank you for taking the time to come and sit with me today. Well, hi, Michelle. Okay, so I feel like our topic for today is actually going to be Final Girls because they've really become a pretty big thing. I mean... Once upon a time, nobody ever thought about a final girl being anything. And now it's like, we, we look for the final girl. We appreciate the final girl. Um, who are some of your favorites, John? Well, when we look at final girls, I think they kind of, in a sense, they did kind of change the landscape of how female protagonists were portrayed in film and it wasn't just for horror sake it was for all films in general but when i look i have to go with probably linda hamilton as sarah connor in the terminator where there was a progression from 1984 where she was more or less like a damsel in distress i mean let's be real but when you got the terminator 2 judgment day she was a badass. Yeah, she was. So, and she did that because of the trauma that she experienced in the first film to protect her son, John. Mm-hmm. She felt she had to become that, you know? So that to me was a character progression done right. Mm-hmm. And I liked it. Now, I never saw Terminator Dark Fate, so I don't know necessarily how her character was portrayed in that, but I'm just going off of the classics. Yeah, I mean, classics, I mean, honestly, classics are probably better anyway. Like, that's just my opinion. Like, there are some things you just don't need to redo or add extra to. Like, just let them them be and be appreciated. But she was, she was a very kick- kick-ass kind of girl like by the time you got to t2 it was take take no prisoners like she was in control of everything so i do have to watch the newest one yeah i mean she actually became a terminator in terminator 2 i mean she was literally yeah i mean she was what was her the dad's name um john connor's father from the future Oh, um, geez. He was played by Michael Bean, but it ain't that funny that Michael Bean has been in Alien and Terminator. I don't know. It's just kind of weird, but. (laughs) (laughs) Kyle. Kyle? Kyle Reese. Yes. So she kind of became Kyle Reese in Mm -hmm. in T2. How's about you? Um, well. You know, I'm going to start with, like, the first, the very first final girl in my mind. And that's Jess Bradshaw from Black Christmas in 1974. The movie itself, it, like, focused on sorority girls being stalked and killed 
And then, like, throughout the movie, Jess just never backed down. Like, she took out her own boyfriend because she believed he was the killer. I mean, at the end, we found out that Peter wasn't the killer, just a tool, and she was better off without him anyway. But, I mean, the way she tackled abortion in a time where that was such a, a hot topic, if you will. I mean, she really... I thought she was amazing. Like, I, I, I hope that if I were in that situation, I could be that strong, that brave, that just confident pushing through. Um, I had a lot of fun with that movie. I didn't watch the remakes at all. I just can't. I can't bring myself to do it. But, and that was, she was played by, uh, oh gosh, what was her, Olivia, oh, Hussey, Olivia, Olivia Hussey? Why did I say Olivia Munn? Olivia Munn wasn't even born. <laughs> I'm pretty yeah. sure we were talking about her not that long ago outside of yeah. this as well. Uh, uh, yeah, I think it was Olivia Hussey. Mm-hmm. And like, she was just, she was beautiful. I mean, she represented your, your typical everyday student. And I mean, it was like around the holidays and like all of this, like just fodder was going on. Margot Kidder was like a hot mess in that movie, but I definitely, I think that for me, I see, I don't know. You, maybe, you know, better than I do, which came first as far as releasing, was it black Christmas or was it the Texas Chainsaw Massacre? It was black, both the, black Christmas did release first. Okay. So yeah, I mean, for me, like she is, she is definitely like my original final girl as far as things go. Who else do you have? Well, the thing with, well, the, the, the add to the Black Christmas, the thing with Black Christmas that a lot of people don't realize is that movie was a Canadian film. So a lot of people in the States didn't realize that it preceded Texas Chainsaw Massacre by a, maybe a couple of months or something like that. But outside of Canada, people didn't know that. Mm-hmm. And it didn't get much play in the States until much later. Um Oh, I would have to say my second, and this is only because this movie absolutely terrified me as a kid, was Ashley Lawrence as Christy Cotton in Hellraiser. Okay. And the reason why it's a little, she's not the typical final girl, but she is. And it's because if you watch the movie, Frank, her father's I think it was his brother mm-hmm. um he made a deal with the cenobites and of course was dragged to hell and all that good good and christy comes across Lorma Shan's box and she solves it well when pinhead and the rest of the uh get along gang come along to whisk her away to limbo or hell or whatever you want to call it um, she makes a deal with them to set up Frank and even her mother and gives them up to the Cenobites at the end. So the thing that always kind of resonated with me was how quick on her feet she was. Like, she's like, okay, well, I don't want to get dragged to hell, so I'm going to just sell everybody up the river <laughs> and just wash my hands of it and everything's good and peachy keen and the uh, cotton so so um but then they later in boom studios did a hellraiser comic series where they actually took christy's character and made her a female pinhead Mm -hmm. 
which was really cool. And but if you've read the um, Hellbound Heart, the actual book, Pinhead isn't necessarily like the way Doug Bradley portrayed him. Um, the character is very much uh, androgynous, very okay. feminine. Mm-hmm. Um, soft-spoken to they're very alluring even though they look grotesque and twisted they're very alluring you know so that's just a little change there but yeah Christy was always somebody that I liked only because that movie scared the absolute hell out of me but the way that she just was like hey guys look I know y'all want me but that guy in the next room He's the one you've been looking for. He's the one that escaped you all. Yeah. Why don't you take him back, you know? And right? <laughs> Seriously. But that was just, you know, that was quick thinking. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I haven't seen, I haven't, I, I can't remember the last time I saw that movie. It used to be, that used to be one of those movies that was like on my go-to list, like all the time, like through the month of October. But I feel like it's cycled out because so many other movies have made their way into it. But it's still a really good movie. Yeah, if you're a fan of body horror, that movie is definitely for you. Mm-hmm. The um the resurrection of Frank in that movie, that's what gave me the creeps. It wasn't the Cenobites. It was Frank when he was like just this fleshy mass. Yeah, that was, that was pretty nasty. Like, it, visually, it just, it kind of, it scarred you a little bit. Because, like, oh, 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 no. Like, I'm one of those girls where sometimes it's, like, horror itself isn't scary. And I don't mind, like, the slasher factor. But, like, actual, like, some things can be really gross. And he was really gross. Yeah. Like, and, <laughs> and she's bringing dudes up to the attic. And then he's, like, just gobbling them up and stuff. Mm-hmm. So. Crazy. <laughs> Maybe that should be one of your uh, live streams coming up. We should revisit that because it's been yeah. a minute. Thinking about that one have been. See, perfect. Um, I'm gonna stick. I'm gonna skip right over to Laurie Strode from Halloween, 1978. Well, from all of the Halloweens, pretty much. But like when we first met her, she was just babysitting and doing babysitter-like stuff. Like, she was carving pumpkins. They were watching movies, you know. Her friend, here, watch this kid, too. I've got to go get pick up my, my boy. Okay. And then Michael Myers found his way to the house where she was watching Tommy and Lindsay. So, not only was she... I mean, she was a very pure girl. Like, she wasn't like any of the other she wasn't like her friends like she was very different from all of them i thought and when the boogeyman was there and like he was this real this real monster like she fought tooth and nail and not just for herself but for these two children that were like in her care um I don't know, like, but if you fast forward, like, your 40 years or whatever, and we come to, like, what, 2018, we see a new side of her where she's taken, like, survival very seriously. 
And like she's just and she's been waiting to come face to face with Michael. But I mean, just thinking about every movie that she's been in, every time she encounters him, she always gets to walk away. I mean, sometimes a little a little worn, a little beat up, but I mean, she keeps coming back. So I think I think she's really she's almost like the epitome of Final Girl because I think everybody knows who she is. You have any thoughts on her? She she definitely is the the gold standard when you look at what a Final Girl is supposed to be. Mhm. She starts off as kind of meek, but she's able to stand on her own two feet. But then as the series progresses, she becomes almost like we said with uh, the Sarah Connor character. She becomes more battle-hardened. There's more of a callous about her, but there's also that post-traumatic stress that's still there. But she's also the yin to Michael Yang, where Michael was unkillable, but heck, I mean, we can even say the same thing about Lori that Lori's kind of unkillable too because her and Michael were just locked in this almost like unwinnable battle between both sides. I mean, one can't get a upper hand on the other and it affects everyone around them. So they can't, which Michael doesn't have any kind of, let's just say he has no kind of like girlfriend or any kind of, no, person to lean on but with Lori she can't live a, a normal life because of the thought of him just craving to just destroy her for whatever reason and I hated that in part two they gave it a a meaning of her being the sister but because only because I thought that leaving it as a mystery of why he zeroed in on her mm-hmm. made it that much more terrifying okay in your opinion because allegedly the the next movie that we're going to see will be the last yeah do you think michael is going to come out of this alive or do you think Lori is because it's been 40 years okay there are all these people this is an entire town so it's like man versus michael michael walks away man versus mob Michael walks away. It's been 40 years. She's not a kid anymore. Like, I feel like there has to be some sort of outside, outside source, almost something supernatural that is going to be effective to rid the world of Michael Myers. These people have not been able to do it over 40 years. They've hunted it down. They've waited for him. And I just don't feel like, I don't feel it's realistic if they end Halloween ends with her finally taking him out. That's why, uh, you know, when you watch that live stream, when me and uh, Steve were talking about it, um, Mm -hmm. it was, that was where they lost me in the movie. It was like, I can get if uh, Tommy was going it alone in Lori's stead to try to fight Michael, but to bring the whole town in, it kind of, it was a little too much for something that didn't need that much. I I didn't like it. Because it gets you to a place where you're pigeonholed with how you're going to end this at the end. Because if a whole town of people can't kill one man, then how is one woman 
and not taking anything away from a woman. And that's not where I'm getting at, but how is she a single person? I should say going to do this if a whole town couldn't do it. But I, I agree. I mean, I just don't, I don't see it to be a feasible end to this chapter, this story, potentially this franchise. I don't see her being the one that takes him down. And if she does, it's going to be so accidental. Like, it's not going to be something that, I mean, think about he's been shot. He sits right up. He's been stabbed. He keeps coming at you. Like there's something that's like not human about this human that keeps him going. So the sheer will and determination of her, I don't feel is going to end well for her by the end of this next movie. And maybe I'm wrong. If I'm wrong, please, everybody, let me know. Let me know your thoughts on it. Because I think that Michael is a household name and we all have opinions on him in the horror community. But I almost think that they've gone they've gone too far at this point with this storyline. Well, when you look at Friday the 13th, okay, so Jason kept coming back. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, in a corny, campy way, always explained it how that happened as corny and campy as it could ever be it still kind of worked in the realms of that story being told with michael he's still a normal flesh and blood human who has you know working organs just like we do heart lungs brain i guess brain um and all this other stuff so if you shoot him in it, any of these vital organs, it should kill him, but yet he keeps coming. So yes, they have now done exactly what they said they weren't going to do. And you have to put it in the realm of fantasy. Now mm-hmm. what is making him just be this unstoppable tank of death? Because it was scarier when you left it into the realms of possibility that a guy could actually go crazy, become a serial killer, put on a mask, and just go on a killing spree. That's where it's more frightening because when you're watching that, like with Scream, as cheesy as Scream might be, it was still feasible that somebody could literally snap and do this. Well, now that you pigeonholed yourself and made Michael all magical and crap, so, okay, well, what now? Are you going to bring back the Curse of Thorn? Because that seems to be the only thing that you can do now. Or are you going to create some other magical thing that, like his clown mask, somehow you have to burn that? And that, what I don't know. I'm just thinking off the top of my head. But if they wanted to end it properly, I've always said this too, that Lori and Michael need to die together. I agree. I think I think the book needs to be closed on these two. I think that it's been such a dominating story in the world of horror that it really hasn't it's taken away the room for other franchises to be born. Like I don't know, like just move over, step aside, let let something new emerge and like let us let us take a break from it. Like, I mean, I didn't mind Rob Zombie's first one. The second one, not so much. Well, um, <laughs> he was forced into the second one. I listened to a Joe Rogan podcast that he did. And uh, yeah, he was kind of forced into it because I guess the studio 
held some things over his head about, you know, hey, you want to keep making movies? Well, we need you to do this one. So mm. he just kind of winged it. Poor guy. I mean, I actually, I, I enjoy his movies. I think that he's a very, I've said it before on the podcast here, he's a filmmaker that makes films that he wants to see. And I like that he is a fan of horror because there's just this authentic scope that he looks through that we get to see as him as the horror fan. Like, I don't like when people that aren't like in the horror, like industry itself, try to do horror because it's not scary. Like jump scares are probably like my least favorite thing and only because they're overdone. Once upon a time ago, a jump scare would get you. And now these movies are just so, like, layered with them. It's like you don't even have time to, like, recover from said jump scare. Or, you know, if you listen to, like, your score, you know it's coming. Like, they think we're dumb now or something. I don't like that. But I digress. (laughs) There's a YouTube channel called Decker Shadow, and he does movie reviews kind of in the same vein that me and Luke do them, but he does it with better quality because he's been at it a lot longer but he calls them he'll go and insert jump scare and then it'll happen nice so if he is just watching the movie and is obviously he's not psychic i don't think but (laughs) he's like calling it right before it happens and it happens then hollywood that should tell you you've got a problem with predictable storytelling yeah absolutely like it's not necessary like i'm sorry no jump scares in a movie. If you have a good storyline, you don't need them. You like it's just something else people they try to cash in on. And it's like, no, give me something I'm going to think about hours and hours or even days after I've seen this movie and I'm still trying to wrap my head about it because holy cow. But a jump scare, I mean, once you're done with it, it's gone. Like, I don't know. Well, with Halloween, me and uh, Steve talked when we talked. Uh, I don't know if we said it on the actual live stream, but I know we said it kind of just in conversation. I feel like the reason why everybody got so gung ho and stoked for the 2018 film was because we had such a bad taste in our mouth from the Rob Zombie remakes mm-hmm. that we were just willing to accept that we got a new Halloween film, something that we can look at now besides the Rob Zombie films. But when I go back and I rewatch them and I was one of those people, I did the same thing when I went to the theater, I was all super stoked and, you know, but now when I go back and rewatch them, I'm not saying they're terrible, but they are nowhere even within striking distance of Carpenter's original vision. Sorry. It's not. Nowhere yeah. even close. You don't have to be sorry to me. I agree with you completely on that. Like, I mean, again, the original Halloween is one of those movies that just still, it still holds up today. That is one of those movies that every Halloween, I watch it at some point throughout the course of the day or the night. It's one of those movies that it can be a go-to movie any time of year for me. Because I just thought it was so good. And the score was wonderful. And, you know, you were rooting for that final girl to make it through the end of that movie. Like you've really, it really gave me a taste of 
what a final girl was before I knew what a final girl was. Because that was probably one of the most impactful movies I'd ever seen as far as like driving my love towards horror. And I love the fact that she, you know, what was it? Like knitting needles. She's stabbing him with coat hangers. Like she was just fending for herself. And I just, it was an amazing movie. And it's like, it's one of those things where I don't know if you know, if you've heard, if we've talked about two of my things that I have issues with that actually scare me like in real life are home invasion scenarios and stalkers. And actually hindsight, I don't know if it came from this movie because he was stalking her and he did invade the home she was in. And I don't know if it, like I never put it together from that, but it's like, it was a really uncomfortable thing. It's like, I was a teenage girl. I babysat. I was home alone with these kids that weren't my kids and I wasn't in my house. Like I couldn't imagine. So, I mean, again, big clap for that final girl because she really, she really just drove home for me what a final girl needed to be. I've always said this, that Halloween one and two should have been it with the Michael Myers story. Cause when, um, Loomis blows them both up, that was the perfect ending to it. And really they didn't need to do the second one. Now, if you take the whole sister brother dynamic out of it, mm-hmm. it would have been fine. It really yeah, would. It would have been. Um, and I think it would have been better if you'd explained it, that maybe Michael saw Judith and Lori that mm-hmm. he just kept seeing Judith in her and her friends. Um, and just don't explain it. Sometimes it's scarier when you don't explain it, but that the, the Michael Myers thing should have ended in two in 1980 was 81, 82 ish somewhere in somewhere there. around there. And then it would have made, it would have made perfect sense that we got Halloween three season of the witch and it wasn't related to him. Yeah, and then it just becomes an anthology series. Which is what I really think they should have done with it. And I think that movie didn't get enough credit because it wasn't like a Michael Myers movie. But I'm a silly girl, and you know what? He was on the TV in the movie for like a half a second, so I'm still putting it in there with it's a it's a Michael Myers movie. But you've said it, I've said it, like Halloween 3 season of The Witch has a very Halloween feel to that movie. And I I think it's great. And I hate when it's, I hate that it's been overlooked. I love when I get to suggest it to someone that's never seen it. Uh, Peter and I, we just recently watched it. Was it, was it with, no, it was with Steve. No, was it you? No, I haven't watched Halloween 3 yet. I'm trying to get it on uh, the next horror hangout with uh, Michelle Blasky. Um, gosh darn it. Oh, Steve was doing a conversation about it, I believe it was. And I told Peter, I'm like, you've never seen this movie. I'm like, I need you to watch it before we do this live, before we listen in with this live stream with him. And he was like, well, is it the one that was that? I'm like, no. Well, is it the one where this happened? No, you haven't seen this movie. I'm telling you. If you've seen this movie, you know that anything that you're talking about did not happen. 
So we watched it and then like, you know, we hopped online and, you know, we were chatting in there and I was so glad that he watched it and he was able to like, you know, give comments and feedbacks and opinions. And he didn't have like, he didn't think it was the greatest movie in the world. He thought some stuff was kind of silly, but he's, he's not big on horror anyway. And he kind of likes silly. So it all worked. And it was nice to be able to spend time with him. Like in the community. The horror community that I'm comfortable in. Where he's not normally there. But you know imagine. So for people that haven't seen this film. And not to give away any plot or any spoilers. So don't worry. But imagine that this movie is based around Halloween. And a lot of the old um, Celtic mythology surrounding it, um, it was a very dark holiday in uh, medieval times. It wasn't about trick-or-treating and candy. That was something we kind of created here in the States. But um, imagine your children and you as a parent being powerless to stop somebody from harming your children on that particular night with something as simple as a Halloween costume. Yeah. How vulnerable you would feel in that particular instance, knowing that you never saw it coming, your children never saw it coming, and by the time you figured it out, it was too late. So, yeah, that's that's pretty damn scary. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, my goodness. And it's iconic. I mean, for its time, I remember growing up in the 80s and everybody talking about how they hated it and all this. And it always sat on the shelves at the video stores and nobody ever wanted to rent it. But almost 40 years later, it has cemented its place. It it, it literally has as one of the most important movies in horror that never really got its due. And I like that it's getting attention again. I like that, you know, our our friend Michelle Blasky, how she's actually doing the unofficial sequel that she's created called The Third Channel to it. Because it does deserve a bit more. Like, let's let's give it new life. Let's find an audience for the original and her independent film she's making. Because the concept in this movie was very good. So I'm looking I'm looking forward to that very much. So Yeah, I always liked the ending for Halloween three because as much as I wanted a sequel to know what happened to Dan Chalice, it was like it ended like a Twilight Zone episode would have ended. It did. It really I agree with that completely. So I thought it was perfect. It was perfectly done and you know, John Carpenter and Deborah Hill and all of them that, that, you know, that movie was never supposed to be made because the studio wanted them to come back and do another Halloween. And Carpenter was like, uh, no, not doing any more Michael Myers. I'll come back, but we're going to do it on my terms. So that's how we got that film. And then it became one of the most infamous and hated in the whole franchise for whatever reason. Yeah, crazy that it's not liked. I don't know. I think I think anybody listening, if you think you don't like it, 
because you saw it a gazillion years ago and you thought that Michael Myers should have been like everywhere in this movie. I think you need to give it another shot. I think anybody who's never seen it definitely should give it a watch. Like if you were a horror fan, give Halloween three season of the witch a go because I think you will enjoy it. It was seriously, that movie was cursed just by its name alone. If they'd have gave it any other name besides just Halloween season of the witch, if they'd have just eliminated Halloween and just called it season of the witch, I think that movie would have been one of the greatest horror films ever made and would have been universally praised. But because it was guilty by association, it damned it. It did indeed. Mm. Let's see. Who who do you have next for one of your favorite final girls, John? Oh, Miss Ellen Ripley, by, played by the legendary Sigourney Weaver. Yes. And the reason I say her is most people, some people, I've heard some people say that they don't really consider Alien a horror movie only because I think they've looked at Aliens being the fact that it's more action. Yeah. Alien, the original, was a horror film. It straight up was. And her character of Ripley, it changed the game for female protagonists in movies more so than Linda Hamilton with with uh, Sigourney Weaver. She made a female protagonist a badass, like mm-hmm. straight up. Because in the 70s, there was this, I want to say there was this, this norm of, it was always the males that would live and everybody else would die. And, you know, it was just that thing that was written in the movies. And she changed that gender norm mm-hmm. because she was the last one left on the, the Nostromos, right? And yeah. She was the one that had to battle the alien. Everybody else failed against the alien, but she didn't. And it made, it changed, I guess, in a sense of, we always viewed the final girl as a damsel in distress. And, you know, the meek, uh, unassuming girl was always the one that would be left standing at the end. Not with her. No. From the beginning of the movie, the end, Ripley was in your face, out front, and you knew she was not somebody to be uh, with. No, she wasn't. And I mean, I like that they gave her that presence completely. Like, she was, she's like, if you were, if you were a little girl, you wanted to be like that. Because she was ready to take on anyone. She didn't care who or what you were. She was like, she was there and she was ready. And like you said, she wasn't taken. <laughs> well, I mean, she was a one of what two females on a ship full of men, a transport ship. And she was the scientist on there. So you kind of had to have a thick skin as kind of a gender minority on a, on board of a ship full of, alpha male so to speak so it 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 worked but she just to me just laid that groundwork for the sydney prescott's and the um not laurie strode because laurie became before her but you know the linda hamilton's and uh who else uh the show 
Heather Langisgam, I think I said her name right, uh, when she did Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. She was, I mean, and actually, she's actually, she's on my list as a final girl. Who, Miss Langenkamp? Yes, she is. Like, you've got her, and she was in the first one from 84, the third one in 87, and then New Nightmare in 94, which I had a lot of fun with. But if you think about it, Nancy was like just your normal teenager, and she had to deal with Freddy Krueger on two levels. One, while she was awake, watching her friends get picked off literally one by one. And then, two, when she was asleep, she became the target herself. I mean, she was young and she was scared, but she was determined to take Freddy down. And even in, I mean, these movies are old enough now where I'm going to say it. Even in the third one, when she did meet her demise, she was still helping to get rid of him and take him down. I think, I think she's actually a great final girl because she, she was, she was, she was traumatized. She was tortured and she still just kept going because her goal was to rid the world of him. Well, she also became kind of a a mentor to all these other kids in dream warriors where she, she taught them how to use their powers in the dream world to fight Freddy. Mm-hmm. So yeah, she was kind of like that Obi Wan, so to speak. To, For to real. so yeah, she was. I would say she was Freddie's Tommy Jarvis, like yeah. Jason Voorhees is. You know, he's got his Tommy Jarvis. She was Freddie's yeah. arch nemesis. And in Dream Warriors, you said she got taken out, didn't she? Kind of like materialized still as a as a presence in the dream world if i remember it's like her spirit itself i believe but i mean as far as on this plane she was no more but i mean the fact that she was there and helping those kids that were so misunderstood because it was such a unreal unrealistic thing that was happening to them like the doctors the the therapists they couldn't comprehend what these kids were quote-unquote allegedly experiencing but she knew firsthand what they were experiencing and how terrible it was so she really did become a mentor an ally you know she was a superhero among those kids that she was trying to help and i mean you name some of these kids i mean we look at them this is kids that were in a psychiatric ward one uh was a heroin uh, addict. Another one was a self mutilator. I think uh, mm-hmm. one was, I want to say schizophrenic, mm-hmm. possibly. But he had like tried to commit suicide on multiple occasions. I think or something. That was uh, that was the character Philip, which I think is probably one of the most gruesome death scenes in any of the Freddy movies. When he, he turned him into that puppet, like, I thought that was, like, gnarly. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. But it was There just... is a fan film. I'm going to have to send it to you. Um, great, great fan film. It's on YouTube, but it's actually Freddy before he died. 
and it's him sitting in the police station with a, a, a detective and he is just sitting there smoking a cigarette and this just, you know, crappy grin on his face. And he's just describing to this cop everything that he's done to these kids. This is prior to him being, you know, the vigilante justice thing. Mm-hmm. And um, then he's telling this cop that he knows who his daughter is and describing to him where her walking routes are and how he's got a special glove for her and mm-hmm. all this other stuff. It It's awesome the way it's shot and the way it's done. I mean, it makes me want to reach into the phone and grab this guy who's playing Freddy and just choke him to death. I mean, wow. it that great. That's amazing. Do you, know, do you know the name of it off the top of your head? Oh, oh, let me look it up here real quick. While you wait, entertainment. Oh, it's called The Confession of Freddy Krueger. Confession of Freddy Krueger. From 2015. Wow. Okay. I definitely will have to check that out because, like, I, he's one of my top favorites. Like, I thought the whole, you know, being able to get attacked while you're sleeping was just so interesting. So, let's see. Confession of Freddy Krueger. Let me just make note of that. Yeah, supposedly, like, Freddy made a deal with some demons and became Mm -hmm. a dream demon himself. Huh. To get revenge on the uh, people Parents. that. Yep. And then there's another fan film called Michael versus Jason Evil Emerges. That came out like two years ago. Michael versus Jason. Huh. That would have made more sense than uh, Freddy versus Jason to me, but. Yeah. It would have. Um, let me see. I think Miss Nancy Thompson was on your list too. Like, sorry if I yanked her it's from fine. you, but it's fine. But you know, I mean, like some of them are just—I grew up with them. Like they—they they really were the core of like horror to me and where it began. So, who do you have up next? So I guess this would be what my fifth and final. I've lost count. <laughs> But uh, I got uh, Miss Nev Campbell as Sydney Prescott. She is definitely on my list, too. She's a wonderful character. Imagine, if you will, you were a high school kid and your mother, who wasn't necessarily faithful to your dad, uh, did a lot of things that wasn't that great. And somehow you being her offspring have now become the target of psychopaths <laughs> and not just one or two or three multiple psychopaths who all take up the same mantle to rid the world of you because of their hatred of what your mom did to them. It is not a perfect horror movie. Characters aren't perfect by no stretch, but it leads into the into that 
world of possibilities because this could happen and probably has happened. Um, her character has to be strong throughout because you imagine you have two guys who you grew up with that you thought you trusted and they turn out to be sociopaths and they're killing everyone around you and then they save you for last. So just so you can watch everybody around you die and then they kill you. But then it doesn't just stop there. Then not even what a year or two years later, you have to endure it again and again and again. And yeah, I mean, you had to have some huevos on you to endure what she endured. And the fact that she never broke, I think the only time I ever really saw her really break was in scream four when it was spoilers, her (laughs) cousin Mm -hmm. who just wanted the fame. Yeah, she did. No, I mean, I mean, it was terrible. Like with that first one, like her boyfriend. And let me tell you, Ski Ulrich, very attractive guy. So in the theater, you're sitting there and it's like, oh, he's so cute. Oh, she's so lucky. You know, and then all of a sudden, okay, her super cute boyfriend is like the worst. And I mean... I like the bait and switch where they wanted you to think it was him. Oh, wait, maybe it wasn't him. And then, like, it was him. It was him all along. I like that she... I like that she stood up to him. I like that she... She questioned. Like, she doubted him all along. Like, she stayed true to herself in that first movie. And the fact that, you know, she gave herself to him which honestly in final girl world you don't do that you don't survive when you do that but she did yeah i mean he not only took from her mentally but he took from her physically and what michelle was saying like he took her virginity Mm -hmm. he took her trust i mean anything and everything that he could take he took um, and when I went into this film, the whole time I'm sitting there going, well, it's definitely got to be Matthew Lillard because just of the way he acted throughout the whole movie, it was like, he was just, yeah, he was <laughs> the life of the party, but clearly you could tell something was a little off about him. Yeah. Yeah. He was great though. Like he was a great character as far as like psycho sidekick. <laughs> I loved him. <laughs> He had, like, quite the sense of humor. I mean, I'm sad that we've lost so many of these characters along the way because I did appreciate most of them for what they offered us. Um, Just side note with your Sydney topic, like, I just want to give a nod to Gail Weathers from the Scream franchise as well. I mean, she's, she's not the... She's not your final girl that you think of when you think of Scream, but she's certainly a final girl. I mean, she went from the not-so-well-liked journalist willing to undercut anyone for a story to an ally and friend to Sydney Dewey. I mean, she was there. She put herself in 
danger multiple times with ghost the ghost face killers and you know she even got to fall in love along the way i mean she actually she's a great final girl and i don't think that we necessarily give her the credit of being one but she's right there with her yeah and even in part two there was gail weathers who was played by the beautiful and talented courtney cox from friends fame um, mm-hmm. she, in part two, you almost wondered if she was the one that was pulling the strings there for a little bit too. Yeah. So there was very much, a kind of, a questions about Miss Weathers, but come to find out, not going to give it away either because I know it's a 20 something year old movie guys, but <laughs> I haven't seen it. Believe me, I've given away I've given away plots before on older movies, and then I've had people say things ruin it for me, and I'm like, sorry, been there for 25 years. You should have watched it before now. Yeah, I th- I think once you get to the two decade mark, you're allowed to say things. Like shame on you if it's been 20 plus years and you haven't seen a movie. Like within like the last 10 years, okay, I'm gonna try to bite my tongue because like you know I get it, but. If it's older than, like, half of these kids, like, they should just be having them on the list and checking them off of movies to watch as they go. Um, let's How see. I, I think I only have one I really want to talk about briefly left, and that is going to be the character, an actual person, Lorraine Warren. Mm. You know, I mean, we have her in... The Conjuring universe, and she's not a traditional final girl by any means. I mean, she goes up against supernatural beings and spirits, and she's another one. She just keeps putting herself at risk to save others again and again through the course of these movies and her real life to a degree. She's a final girl that I welcome to my list. I mean, I don't. Have you enjoyed the Conjuring movies? Like, have you enjoyed her character in these movies? Yeah. Um, and like you said, uh, this is not a fictional final girl. This is a real life final girl. So um, the Warrens within the paranormal community are legends. They mm-hmm. basically are the ones that started the whole ghost hunting craze, so to speak. Yeah. They brought, uh, eyes to things that we thought were only fairy tales and to an extent they made believers out of a lot of people um, Lorraine I'm Lorraine, sorry oh I'm sorry um, but Lorraine <laughs> to me was she was Ed's anchor his strength and she always had to be she had to keep him grounded because Ed had a tendency to want to like run into everything head first so she was that one that always looked at him and said let's you know proceed with caution here we don't quite understand this instead of him like i'm going in there like zach bagans and i'm just going to challenge everybody yeah but he, def- he definitely was just, he was a bull in a china shop. Like, it's like, he just wanted to get his hands dirty and help where she wanted the help to be more 
thoughtful, planned out, and safe for everyone involved. But I think they... she, She knew that these things would follow her home. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's kind of, it's, it's terrible. It's scary to think that it's like the fact that a spirit can attach to you. Like, I wouldn't want that. Like not, not some evil one. Like if it's your grandma or grandpa, okay. But you've got some evil spirit that you're trying to help save this family from. And all of a sudden they're attached to you or your husband or your wife or your kid or whatever. No way. Leave that behind, please. But I thought that, um, I thought that they did a very, very nice job with her in the movies. I thought that it was nice to see her brought to life as a person rather than just what we've heard or read in like magazines or in interviews. I mean, and I will watch anything on the Warrens because I just have always been so fascinated. Like I'm a fan. I'm a fan. But I just think that it was great that we actually got to see her brought to life. And again, to this day, like just what a great addition to the final girls world that she has become. Yeah. And I've been reading some of their books too. They got uh, some case files and stuff like that and a book on demons and different things. And they actually have the Annabelle doll um, is actually a real thing. It doesn't look like the Annabelle in the actual movie, but it's a Raggedy Ann doll that has claimed the lives of many people. I mean, a lot of that stuff the Warrens kept uh, mm-hmm. at their house. And I she... feel like I'm not sure. I'm sorry. I feel like I'm not sure where those artifacts are now, though. Like, after her passing, and I know that their museum closed and it was a matter of well actually it closed before she passed and they were looking for somewhere else to go with it but i don't know if they actually have found someplace else for the artifacts to go be kept and displayed for people to look at yet um i want to say zach bagans who became real close with uh the warrens uh either their extended family or with lorraine before she passed i think he he got some of it to put in his museum in Vegas. Uh, I want to say he did get the Annabelle doll. Yeah. So I feel like I saw, I saw a clip from one of his shows where he had somebody coming in and like blessing it, I believe, or something. Because yeah. I guess they have to come in like once a week to make sure that she's like prayed over or just looked after and kept contained (laughs) yeah supposedly she's in a glass box and she has a habit of opening the door that's when you get a lock my friend (laughs) hello oh my goodness um Um, but yeah that 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 mm, i don't mess with dolls nope (laughs) oh and that's so funny because that's what i do i i mess with dolls (laughs) Like the studio I'm in, it's just filled with dolls. I had an EVP session in here a few weeks ago to see if like I picked up any bad little hitchhikers along the way. Thankfully I did not. If you've listened to the last episode, um, no, 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 no. Crazy. It's crazy. 
Well, I have Iron City Paranormal that's going to be coming on on December the 12th, and they are going to be telling me a lot of their stories, especially evidence they've caught at Gettysburg Battlefield and different things. Um, I've had personal experiences in my life. I actually have a spirit box that I bought, and I sit and I mess with it, and I swear to people I carried on a full-on conversation with an old woman in this apartment one night, and she just kept telling me she was somebody's grandmother. So that's all I had to go on. Mm. Now, my episode that um, aired last, which is on, which was December 4th, Beck is on with me. And we run through portions of the EVP session that we did here. And then... I actually have a link within that episode to go to the full video edit that she did. And that was very interesting. Like, I'm not going to say I was like uncomfortable or it was awkward, but is time passed from the moment that it was done to evaluating the, the voice, the words that were collected it really, like, things made a lot more sense than I even thought. It was like, oh, like, is that that? Like, it was very interesting. So if you haven't or when you get a chance, you should go check that one out and go for, go to that YouTube link of the session because it's just crazy all the things that we heard. And then I have an episode where I talk to local, uh, basically local paranormal expert here in Hawaii, Mr. Uh, Lopaka. Um, mm -hmm. He tells a lot of stories about different Oni, which is a Asian demon and, uh, or I want to say Japanese demon, I think, um, and other things that supposedly haunt these islands. So we have that too. That's very cool. I remember listening to that episode. Um, you know, why don't you, why don't you tell everybody where they can find you? I'll put, I'm going to put your links in the description, but I know you're like, as far as podcasts, social media, and YouTube, like, let everybody know where they can check in with you, start following you, and chat with you, because you are really just such a friendly, friendly person, and you've got so much to say, and I love every conversation we have. So, if you, I'm most active on Instagram, um, so if you want to go to that, it's at btfiendspodcast underscore official. That's where you will definitely get me the quickest. Uh, I have Facebook, which is John Evans, but there's also a Behind the Fiends page. So if you want to go there and like it, uh, please do. It helps. Um, but if you just want to friend me on Facebook or message me, it's John Evans. Just look for a picture of uh, a guy in an Army uniform because we just got off Veterans Day, so I got that up. Um, uh, Twitter is, uh, at BT fiends, but Twitter is such a, sometimes I think it's such a toxic environment. I don't go on that too much. I don't either. But yeah, Instagram's the best. If you want to listen to the show, but you don't have Spotify, iTunes or anything else, don't worry. You can go to buzzsprout.com slash behind the fiends. And that'll take you to 
our entire catalog. You don't have to pay a fee. You don't have to do no kind of membership. You, all you got to do is push play and you can hear everything. Um, but we are on Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, uh, Audible. Uh, a lot of it, but yeah, buzzsprout.com uh, for those of you that don't have memberships to any of that, that most definitely you can just go to buzzsprout and find us there and you ain't got to pay no money for it. Um, we are working on a Patreon where we're going to start doing, um, exclusive, uh, episodes and, and movie reviews that will only be available there. And I might start off with the unedited because i do have interviews with people that i normally edit down due to the fact of attention spans nobody wants to sit there and listen for a three-hour episode but there are some that do so for those people i'm going to probably have on patreon um the unedited stuff where you even get to hear the mess-ups and the bad audio from time to time and different things that would be a lot of fun and the bloopers where we kind of make a mistake and then we laugh about it because me and Luke have a lot of bloopers that I cut out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and um, then like the Andre episode, I think we, I cut out some stuff that was, it was funny because it just, it sounded like we were going, <laughs> like the audio was going in and out and I couldn't fix it, but yeah, that kind of stuff. And then I have, um, for Patreon, I'm getting ready to shut the Teespring store down. Um, I know there's certain people that like to buy stuff on it, but one, I nothing against you, Teespring, but your quality kind of sucks. And um, I just don't think that the people that pay their hard-earned money for stuff with my particular show's name on it should be paying that much for subpar quality. So I am going to drop them and Patreon. I'm just going to start doing stickers and different things. So if you pay $5 a month, I'm going to give you like exclusive episodes that you only get through that. Uh, probably exclusive uh, documentaries because I'm thinking about doing extended documentaries on certain horror movies. Oh. That you probably only get like a, uh, my normal 60 days of fright are like, like Michelle will tell you, they're only like four or five minutes. I condense it down because we're part of a radio group called 96.6 The Wolf. Ow! <laughs> we're part of that with James Greening. And um, so I keep it short because if you go doing an hour episode on a radio station, typically you're not going to get much play. So that's why I keep it condensed down. But for Patreon, I'm going to probably start doing more in-depth um, retrospectives on certain movies. But that'll be for the Patreon page. And then every month, I'll send you some stickers and stuff. That'll be awesome. I can't wait for that. Um, and then YouTube. Tell us where to find you on YouTube. Uh, YouTube is just old behind the fiends. That's where all my live streams and stuff are kept. Uh, we did a trailer reaction for the Ghostbusters movie and I'm still figuring out this whole YouTube landscape and for some reason the audio for the trailer didn't play so I completely apologize for that to anybody that has listened to that and was like well, where's the audio for the trailer 
<laughs> I was one of those people. I was like, well, I'm seeing it, but I can't hear it. And I thought it was like my phone or my, my earbuds or something, but it turned out it was on your end and not mine, which made me yeah. really happy because technology and I don't always get along. So it's like, what did I do wrong? So, so guys, here's what happened. The old boy right here, John, forgot to push the unmute button on the trailer when I did the live stream. So, uh, yeah, I ain't perfect either. <laughs> learn the lesson. But. As long as we learn and we've got to take away. Um, let, me, let me ask you just a couple of random thoughts before I let you go because we are getting quite on with our day here. What fictional character in a movie is portrayed as a hero, but is actually more of a villain to you? Hmm. Good question. Well, thank you. <laughs> um, he's portrayed as a hero, but typically more of a villain. Yeah. Um, I would have to go to the True Blood series on HBO and say Mr. Eric Northam. Oh. Played by Mr. Uh, was it Skarsgård? Alexander, yes, sir. <laughs> I mean, he, yeah. He was very much an anti-hero. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But what did you think of Vampire Bill, though? Bill was the same, but I didn't get that that swagger about him as much as I did. Bill, towards the end, got corrupted by the becoming the vampire god. You know, mm -hmm. he was corrupted by power, but it was kind of like a fall to the dark side with Anakin Skywalker, where there was nothing about vampire God Bill that was any kind of redeeming quality. He was just straight up. Uh, yeah, he was uh, yeah, a, I, a, a hole. So, but I with, actually think he's a little more shysty because he tried to come in there as the good guy, at least with Eric, you knew he was a big old jerk. Like, it's just the air about him from the minute we saw him with that long, bad hair and the first time. <gasps> but at least we knew what he was about. And he did some, like, redeeming things. Like, he had this little character arc. and But I think Bill was just, like, shady and underhanded all along. But go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, the thing about I liked about Eric was is there was a reason to that. That's where I say, you know, most of the times when we look at anti-heroes, we have to look at the journey that they took to get where they are, and that explains a big portion of why they do what they do. Where, you know, you look at somebody like, let's go to comic books, for example, Frank Castle, the Punisher, very much an anti-hero. Mm -hmm. But why did he become such a violent um, uh, vigilante? His whole family was murdered in front of him by the mob. Yeah. That would do something to a person. And with Eric, he was a Viking. Like, he lived during the Viking period, and he was laying there on the battlefield dying and was offered a chance at immortality, basically, like, almost like standing in the Mississippi crossroads and making that deal with the devil. Yeah. And he was, from that point on, eternally gifted and cursed you know he i think he did find his sister later on but she turned out not to be so nice yeah that was like that was that was a weird reunion that i wasn't a fan of when i watched i was like what no um, <laughs> no i think i think that's a great one actually 
But, but Eric, yes, he put people down in the basement of his bar and he tortured them and fed on them and all well, kinds of that. <laughs> and different things. But it took, you know, his feelings for Snooky or Suki or whatever. It's Suki. My actual oldest cat is named Suki because of her. <laughs> But it was Suki that that kind of made him rethink who he was. Mm-hmm. Mm. That was a really good show for a while. Yeah, it was way better than Twilight. I can't stand sparkling vampires. <laughs> no doubt. I mean, there's a place for everybody for somebody, but I definitely, I definitely appreciated the grit of true blood over the fluff of twilight at the time i think twilight it was like everything i got caught up in the the phenomena of it but like in reality just like waiting like just so anxiously week after week to turn in tune into true blood i thought Mm -hmm. it was a great show i really did now, the thing about Twilight for me, it was like watching NSYNC and New Kids on the Block have a beef. <laughs> I'm going to push you a little. I'm going to push you back. <laughs> God, that's terrible. It's not inaccurate, but that's terrible. And then all of a sudden you got Backstreet. Backstreet's back. All right. <laughs> bye, bye, bye. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're hashing it out there. Um, what's, what is a movie that you can watch over and over and over again and just never get tired of watching? Most people that's heard my show will probably say, oh, well, he's going to say Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And you would be wrong. (laughs) He's so wrong. Texas Chainsaw Massacre, though, my favorite horror movie, it's only because I think it's a perfect horror movie because it stays horror from beginning to end. Yeah, it does. Um, but it's not one that I can just sit and consistently watch. The one that I can consistently sit and watch over and over and over again, which is going to make Michelle very happy when I say this, is The Lost Boys. Yes! It makes me very happy! (laughs) And the reason for that is because when... You, you got so many things that people refer, you know, they, they look back to the 80s. It is a 80s movie. It's as 80 as you can freaking get. Yeah. Um, when you look at the clothing that the vampires wore, it looked like a bad uh, hair metal band, which was big at that point in time. Yes, it was. Jason Patrick was the cool kind of James Dean type character that was very prevalent in the 80s. Then you had the kid heroes with Corey Hayman, Corey Feldman, and we got the phenom of the Corys from that movie. Yes, um, yes, yes. How many times do you get to watch uh, Bill S. Preston Esquire as a vampire <laughs> um, from Bill and Ted? Um, gosh, what's his name? Alex Winter. Yes. He was in it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, not a perfect movie. It wasn't. It really wasn't. But it was a movie that, to me, kind of saved the vampire genre because yeah. it kind of was getting stale there for a while. I think it opened it up to a new age group, too. 
it definitely brought the sex appeal to it. Before yeah. that, there wasn't much of a sex appeal about them. No, but I mean, I think that because it wasn't it wasn't rated R, was it? It was, but was it was, it? but it was a very soft R. Yeah, no, I was like, mm. um, but like they they made like the trailers were like. A video on MTV. I don't know if you remember way back then when they used to actually play music videos on MTV. Mm-hmm. But but there was a time. And like when they would drop the trailer for this movie, it was like this quick music video of something that was going to be full length that I wanted my tush in the seat to go see because music sounds great. It's like the boys are so cute. Like, absolutely. I'm with you on that one. I can watch that movie again and again and again. And I've always said this, as much as I love Keith or Sutherland as, um, oh gosh, what was his character in 24? Jack Bauer. Yeah. As much as I love Jack Bauer and I love Keith or Sutherland, Keith or Sutherland's on my top five list of my all time favorite actors. Oh, wow. He plays a villain as good as anybody you could ever imagine. He mm-hmm. gets it. He understands how to play a villain. And with David, you wanted so bad to like him. Mm-hmm. But he always just kept that little invisible wall up to let you know, I am dangerous. You don't want to know me. Yeah. And that was very alluring and seductive about his character and that's why you could see why everybody would follow him because he just gave off that you know you wanted to know more about him but you knew there was that danger and most people were attracted to people like that Mm -hmm. very true Um, and then you had um jason patrick's character who David, who was trying to find his way in the world, and he didn't want to be the man of the family in his particular family. He just wanted to be, not David. Michael. Michael. Um, He wanted to be just a kid or a teenager and just, you know, date girls and let his hair down and be so many things. that when he saw David and his little group, that's what drew him in. They were what he wanted to be. Mm-hmm. And they almost though, had him. They almost had him. There, um, I watched a documentary. Um, it was, it's not like a legitimate from the studio documentary. It was an actual fan made. Very, very good. Um, I'm guessing uh, the director uh, really wanted to go back and, go to the Spanish flu period of, I think it was like the 1910s and whatever it was when the Spanish flu ran mm-hmm. rampant. And that was where he was going to introduce us to David. Oh, really? And that's where David came from. That's where Edward from Twilight came from too. Yeah. <laughs> that sorry. makes you wonder where they got that idea for Edward. Oh, yeah, God. really? No, no, no. I take that back. It wasn't Spanish flu. It was the earthquake. Yes, the earthquake. Okay, that makes a lot more sense because the underground, the hotel, their cave. Yeah, because that's where David talked about, yeah, they used to, uh, I guess, the hotel fell into the the earth and then they just kind of made their home there. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's where David came from. I'm sorry. It was no, it's okay. You know what? It just proves that you've got a little more love for Twilight than you think because your mind was still on Twilight. (laughs) No, that's PTSD. (laughs) I'm I'm sorry, John. I wanted them to make that so bad. And it was like, he could not get the studio to green light it because they didn't think anybody would want to see it. And I would have watched the heck out of it. But Keith is too old to do it now. Yeah. So, <sighs> I don't know. I mean, unless you do some kind of weird face reface technology and I don't want to see that. No, I don't. I don't like, I don't like all that stuff as much as I should. And I don't know if any, it's, the thing about Keith or Sutherland, he has such a unique face. There's, it's hard to find any actor that really looks like him. Honestly, his voice too. Like his voice is so distinctive. Like when we watched Phone Booth, I was like, oh, I'm like, that's Keith or Sutherland. Pierce like, what? No, that's Kyle. I'm like, no, I'm like on the phone. I'm like, trust me. It's like, I know this guy's voice. Like, Stand by me, like just eye for an eye. Uh, the the vanishing, like I know this guy, the lost voice. This is his voice, and sure enough, it was his voice. Yeah, and you want to see him at his most evil? Watch phone for, booth. Yeah, that was that was some. Well, I don't know. Freeway was kind of a funky little movie too, if you remember that. Yeah, yeah, it was. And then when he did Flatliners, he come back kind of evil in that too. And. Mm-hmm. Like, he's just one of those guys that does bad good. Like, it's just, it's it comes out of him so naturally. I always enjoy him in the bad guy role. And there are other guys that you look at, it's like you could never see them as a bad guy, or they are, and you're so turned off by it. But for him, it just really works. He, um, him and Jason Patrick did a con not right before the pandemic really hit. Um, and I watched a recording of it. Uh, it was a funny story. He taught how him and Jason Patrick became like best friends. Um, and they went to lunch one day and they just didn't feel like sitting in the makeup chair and getting the vampire makeup taken off. And they mm-hmm. literally were driving down the street and Keith at the time was like, look, I wasn't making a lot of money. And, I think he said that before a lot of those movies, he worked as a uh, line cook or a bus boy or something. Mm-hmm. His dad made him earn his stripes. So, you know, bravo to his father, who was a famous actor. Yeah. Um, and they were riding down the street with that vampire makeup on. And he was like, dude, they were just freaking people out left and right. <laughs> and but the thing about Kather's face was already I bet you they did barely had to do anything to make him look like a vampire because he already had that bone structure about his face oh yeah for sure like it was probably I mean I feel like you know when he was like fully vamped out obviously the fangs and his eyes but I mean his the way he looked it he did stay consistent whether he was like full-on vampire like rage i'm coming to get you or be one of us michael like either way like he he i he was great he was really great in that role yeah max was the most terrifying out of him when he vamped out yeah like that never should have been like i didn't 
I thought it was funny that they tried to do the whole, like, red herring thing where it's Max. And then, like, everything that they did went against the whole, like, vampire law, if you will. So it's like, he got to come in the house because Michael invited him in. And, you know, garlic is just a lore and etc. And then, like, okay, so it's not him. It, it is David. But the young kids, you know, the frogs and... um. Sam, they just didn't know David. So it's like, okay, there he is, and, like, David's the head vampire. Oh, no, he's not. And then there he is again. There's Max, full on. It was like, <gasps> I was, and, like, oh, my God, your boys and my boys. I was like, no, no, no. So, oh, my God, what a good movie. Like, I want to go watch it right now. So the thing with um, The Lost Boys, a lot of people don't realize is Joel Schumacher came onto this movie, but... A lot of people don't realize Richard Donner was the one that wanted to do this. And this is Richard Donner who did Goonies. And mm-hmm. he, I guess he left the project. I, he initially wrote it, but he was going to make it more child friendly and make it like Goonies with vampires. Yeah. And then when he left to go do um, Lethal Weapon, but he still stayed on as a producer, but an uncredited producer. They brought in Joel Schumacher, and Schumacher's like, I am not doing a kid movie with vampires. Yeah. So that's when they flipped it. And supposedly he had a hard time getting Jason Patrick to commit to it because he didn't want that stigma of being in vampire makeup and all that. Um, Keither was an easier sell on getting come on for the movie because Keither found out that in excess was actually going to be doing music <laughs> for the movie. And just because in excess was going to de- be doing music for the movie, that's why he committed to it. <laughs> that's awesome. That'd be enough reason for me back then. Like I won't lie, but you know, it put Corey Haim and Corey fit. Well, Corey Feldman already kind of had a following, but it really put Corey Haim on the map because before that Corey had, what silver bullet um murphy's romance firstborn and that's such a tragic story too that would be another good episode for us to talk about the Corys. you know i i i always i loved those Corys. i did uh we definitely i mean we definitely could do one that's totally all about them because it would just be something we could talk about forever i feel like yeah, had, they, they were our rock stars. They were mm-hmm. our Justin Bieber and stuff when we were kids. Yeah, I mean, they were plastered on my bedroom walls the way now in my studio I've got, you know, your Michael Myers or, you know, your Freddy Kruegers and Jason Voorhees. Like, they, they were my, they were my go-to that I was surrounded by back then. Obviously, I've grown up and it's changed, but for sure. Yeah, not only was he Edgar Frog, but Corey Feldman was also the original Tommy Jarvis. So, I mean... Yes, he was. Right, the 13th series, so... And he was a cute little boy in um, Gremlins, too. What was his name, Billy? <laughs> yeah. No, 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 it wasn't Billy. Billy was dude. Was he Tommy in that, too? I think he was Tommy, and he was, like, shooting the Gremlins with a slingshot off. Yes, of like, he was such a cute little, little boy. Like, oh my gosh. But no, John, I definitely, I definitely want to have you back and hopefully soon, or I can come 
and we can do it on yours. I definitely want to have you and Luke back for something. And then, you know, Luke can tell us a little more about his comic book store too. Cause I know that he has one out there. Um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. And keep doing what you're doing. Keep creating because I enjoy it so much. Yeah. I know me and Luke can be a little bit of a acquired taste to listen to. We're not in PR. We are like, like we said earlier to Jay and silent Bob, but we're your poor version of it. And yeah, don't let your kids listen. All I can say, yes, we got a cute little skull guy with a, with a greaser haircut and yeah, he, he looks cute. All cute and looks like <laughs> seven kids you want to, but, uh, me and old Uncle Luke ain't ain't that kid friendly, so don't blame <laughs> us if you let him listen. Oh God, very true. You have been warned, friends. You have been <laughs> warned. So until next time, everybody, stay strange. <laughs> <laughs>